Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Welcome to church today. God is so good. He's faithful. Man, this new album that's going to be coming out, so good. It's got 45 songs on it. It's going to be really good. I don't know how many we're up to right now, but we're just going to keep writing them and see what God does. Exciting stuff. Um, This is uh, a brand new series for those of you that are here today, maybe visiting or kind of for the first time. Uh, We're starting a brand new series. We just came out of our Summer Flick series. That was amazing. And today we're going to be starting a brand new series called The Jonah Supremacy. It's something that I'm very excited about. I feel like this is a real practical uh, look at some of the things that we struggle with as, as people. It's not super popular to talk about things that put the blame on us. We're kind of always looking for these empowering things that let us know how great we are. I don't necessarily think that's what this is, but I think sometimes this is the best way God can deal with the true things that are keeping us from stumbling blocks or keeping us from progressing and moving forward. Our relationship with God is to is to really take a deep look inside, and I think that's what this series is going to do. Before I jump in and kind of kick it off, uh, I wanna say that Tuesday for our family is a day that we'd like to ask for your prayers. Uh, this this year in 2023, obviously, we've been uh, together as a family, dealing with a lot of situations. Our son's cancer diagnosis, Hodgkin's lymphoma, we found out in January. So this has been a year pretty much... Um, dealing with treatments and you know chemotherapy radiation post chemo post radio radiation therapy you know uh, kind of symptoms and things like that and this week is the week that we kind of go for the follow-up after all the scans to hear where 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 everything is currently to move forward would you help my family pray this week uh, and agree in faith that our son is completely and totally healed and this week we're going to get the kind of report that we're believing for and looking for Amen. If you wouldn't mind, uh, I'm not sure if Jude is here right now, but if he's not, just stretch your hand out toward me. Oh, he's in City Kids. He's leading the kids over there. So if you guys would just kind of stretch your hands forth, we'll pray together over my son, Jude. Father, we just thank you for Jude. I thank you for this church that has been such an unbelievable group of a family that has come together for, for our family in a time when we have needed prayers, we've needed help, we've needed, you know, just people around us. You've sent them. Lord, to uphold us and uplift us. And we thank you for that faith today. And we come together in Jesus' name to agree for Jude that a continued miracle will happen in his body, not a hint of cancer in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray that that report would come back well and you'd continue the deep healing that's inside of him. And we thank you for your goodness today. We agree on that in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give God a good praise. Let's give him that kind of victory praise. I'm not sure where they are, but I, Micah and Giselle, are you guys here today? I, if they're here, I just got to, I think they were coming. Are they here? Are they here? Are they over there? Where are they? Oh, they're right there in front of me. I love this family. This is the best. I know you guys don't like when I talk about you, but this is the Byers family. The Byers family, I consider them city of life OGs. They're originally from here. Micah, amazing basketball coach at Iowa State University, uh, coached at UCF for the longest time. Uh, Giselle attended here from the early days. I think they both met running track at UF. That's the worst thing about them is that they're Gators. Uh, they're, they're real. That's the, that's the only thing. God has redeemed you and taken you from that evil place, but you're now what? You're, cy- you're, you're cyclones. You're, you went, see, you went from one 
reckless thing to a better reckless thing, a cyclone. But anyways, this family is amazing. They're visiting. Could you do me a favor? Give a City of Life welcome. They're visiting with us from Iowa. We love you guys. Love your family. You guys are very special. Appreciate you guys. Let's jump right into this uh, message today on the Jonah supremacy. I'm going to read Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And then I'm going to kind of just kind of break it apart a little bit. And it's a multi-teaching series that all of them are designed to kind of come from a different angle. So let's take a look at this, and I'm going to pray, get right into it. It says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind, a cyclone, on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below the deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied. And it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for, for Lord, you have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided Before I finish this last sentence here, I think it's interesting that we want God to be our provider all the time. We're begging him to provide for us. Normally what we mean by that is give me money. But isn't it interesting that that when we trust God as our provider, sometimes he provides things that we may not really like very much, but he's doing it for our benefit. Can someone say amen today? It says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I'm gonna preach today part one of our brand new series called The Jonah Supremacy. Father, bless this time together. Uh, Bless this message. We thank you for your word. We believe it is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. And God, we pray in Jesus' name that it would convict us today and lead us to the truth of who you want to be in our life on a daily basis. 
Let us walk out of here changed. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Have you ever done something that you knew was wrong? Okay, hold on. I got, I, there's another part to this question. So I, I got, if we can't even deal with the first part, we, we're, we're in trouble here today. I know, first service was a little more open. So how many people, number one, you've ever done something that you knew was wrong? Let's get some amens around here to say I'm relate. Okay, so have you ever done something that you knew was wrong and you tried to justify it? Because two different concepts there. Sometimes we do something wrong, and we know it's wrong, but we do it anyways. We're not trying to justify it. We're going, this is wrong. I'm eating this whole entire plate of cookies. I'm doing it right now. I know somebody else wants some. I'm not trying to justify it. I'm not coming up with an excuse. I'm just doing it. We just do it. We're not trying to come up with any reason or anything like that. But it's a little bit different when you try to justify it. There is a type of doing wrong where we make a choice that we're going to do something and not just do it to enjoy it or experience it, but on the inside, we create a lie, an inner lie. Adler talks about the inner lie, or he talks about that that personal kind of lie that we believe, that thing that we believe. It's kind of a foundational principle of the way he thinks. But we do this kind of thing where we create this lie from the inside, and we start to believe it on a level where we can not only justify it to ourselves, but we can make a good case that it's right for us to other people as well. Can I get an amen from someone in case I'm, I'm dealing with the wrong crowd here? I want to make sure this is right. I know that I have many examples throughout my life. I think in my book, Jesus First, Jesus Always, I talk a little bit at the end about a time when I was a kid. I think it was probably 1979. I was like seven years old and my dad took me shrimping. And we lived at that time over in Pine Hills uh, and we were going into Port Canaveral to go shrimping in the middle of the night. I think you got to get there at like 4 a.m. or something like that. And we were going with a bunch of guys and it was really cold. It is not really cold outside right now, by the way. Uh, but it was freezing. I think it was in the 40s or something. So we bundled up and we went to Port Canaveral and there was this shrimping boat down at the end of this dock. And there was a gap in between the dock and the boat. And while everyone was getting ready and getting all the stuff together, you're just kind of talking. And I guess when you're ready, the, the, you know, the captain comes and pulls the boat closer and everyone gets on. But there was a big gap there. And I was kind of looking at that gap. And my dad, you know how parents can just kind of read the minds of their kids sometimes? You just know your kids. He goes, boy, don't you even think about trying to jump off the end of that dock onto that boat. Like he knew. I don't know how he knew, but I was totally thinking it. And I was like, no, dad, I won't do that. But then suddenly, after he turned around and started having this conversation with these other guys, I started thinking to myself, if I made that jump, uh, not only will he he be proud of me and be impressed with my, you know, athleticism and my skill, uh, but then he'll regret telling me that I shouldn't have done it, and I'll, I'll actually change his mind. So I actually convinced myself that jumping onto this boat was the right move. So while he was, you know, looking the other way, I ran and I leapt in the air, and I mean, I just—I was like, I was like Spider-Man. It's like I was just flying, you know, just like flying through the air, legs for. But the only problem is I wasn't like Spider-Man at all. Like I just—it's more like a rock. It's like I just went straight down. I didn't even come anywhere near the boat. It was humiliating. I go right in the water, but my dad somehow got over to me so quickly, and and I'm I'm down by the bottom of the boat, swimming in this freezing water. And he pulls me out of the water 
And, you know, it didn't say I told you so or anything. I mean, I had to sit there with wet clothes on this shrimping trip. It was, it was terrible, but it was a great reminder that dad's way is best. But aren't you glad that we've got a heavenly father that is willing to reach down and grab us when we make a choice that we know goes against his advice? We make a choice that's wrong. He's willing to save us in the same way. But I think we can relate with disobeying God. And in this story, we have a story of Jonah. And we say to ourselves, why did this man of God, who is a man of God, he's a prophet that is a very important prophet in Israel, why does he hear this message from God? And what is the thing that God told him? Let's look at it really quick again. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, let's look really quick at why he hated this idea so much. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrians who were Israel's total arch enemy. Israel hated the Assyrians and the Assyrians hated Israel. I'm not just talking the way, you know, the Cowboys hate the Eagles and the Eagles hate the Cowboys. This was racism. This was nationalistic hate where you literally hate someone because they're a different ethnicity, because they're a different color, because they're from a different country than you. You don't want anything good to happen to them. You don't want to associate with them. You say, well, there's racism in the Bible. Yeah, there is. And I think it, it, sometimes it's important for us to recognize that some of the principles that are in the Bible were there long before culture made them a big deal. And the Bible actually has something healthy and powerful to say about it. So let's look at someone who is deeply embedded in a messed up way of thinking, who, by the way, God still chooses to use us despite our flaws. Aren't you grateful for that? That he doesn't discard us just because we are flawed. He needs vessels. Jonah is a great example of a deeply marred, flawed vessel that God chose to use for his purposes. But you would think that if he hates the Assyrians, that the directive God gave him would be exciting because he said, go preach against Nineveh because its wickedness has come up before me. So why does Jonah so deeply want to disobey God? Because he knows that he serves a loving, compassionate God of mercy, that when the gospel of who God really is is truly preached against sin in a truthful, godly, honest way, Jonah knows that God is merciful and he will show mercy to the people that he hates. And he would rather disobey God than to see the people that he hates get saved You say, well, who do these people represent to me today? All the people you don't follow on Twitter. <laughs> Let's take it another step. All the people that you've blocked on Facebook and Instagram. Is that hitting a little close to home? It's the people that you completely disagree with. It's whatever group of people you can come up with that you just wish you never had to see them again. Whether it's racial or whether it's philosophical or someone that is, is involved in a certain kind of sin or a certain kind of uh, b political beliefs, whatever you can come up with in modern society 
that puts you in opposition with another person. This is what Jonah felt when God told him, go to the very people that you cannot stand and, and preach to them. So what does Jonah do? It, it's not, it doesn't take a long time for him to figure out what he wants to do. It says, but the next scripture says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. So this is important to know. Gat Heifer, where Jonah lived and where he was from, was here. And on a map, if you're looking at a map, I flipped it around so it makes sense to you. Gat Heifer is here. Right here is Nineveh, northeast of Gat Heifer. Joppa is southwest of Gat Heifer. So God told Jonah, leave Gat Heifer and go this way to Nineveh. What does Jonah do? He goes in the literal. I'm talking like cardinal directions. God tells you go northeast. You don't just go south, you go southwest. You do the complete and total opposite of what God told you to do. This is the decision Jonah makes when God tells him to do something that he doesn't want to do. I wonder how many people are in this room today and God has already told you what he wants you to do. And you have already made a choice. You maybe have already left and responded to what God told you. We're good at justifying our disobedience. See, Jonah had a million reasons to question why God would say what he would say. He could go on and talk about how evil were. The Assyrians were known for being unbelievably cruel, showing no mercy to their opponents, wiping out women and children, burning villages to the ground. Just a godless, a completely godless culture that everyone was used to hating. He was good at justifying his disobedience, and so are we. It was, an, it was the national sentiment of Israel to hate the Assyrians. Okay, so that's really important for us to hold on to and to understand that he had his reasons. I want you to, to remember that for a second because you have yours. I have mine. Okay, and I also want to illustrate this before we get into the rest of our series that when we think about Jonah, we're like, oh, that's the one with the whale. You know, like we, we, we kind of like think of it as like almost like, you know, the, the, like, like a fable, like James and the giant peach or something like that. It's like, th that's not what this is. This is an actual story that really, really happened. And even Jesus talks about the historical nature of Jonah and compares Jonah to himself. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 through 40, it says some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to Jesus, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And Jesus answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days in the belly of a huge fish. By the way, if Jesus said that he did it, I believe Jesus. I don't care what theologian, some theologians say, oh, well, it's just a, a parable that didn't really happen, but it was teaching us. No, Jesus said it happened. And if he said it, I trust him. He said he was in the belly of a fish for three days. So the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. 
For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. So I, I want to speak to the mentality before we even get there. If some people are saying, well, you know, is, is it really possible? You know, I, I saw a, a documentary on the Discovery Channel that said it's not possible for a person to live in the belly of a whale for three days. I'm not talking about what's possible by scientific standards. It's not plausible for an army of 300 to defeat an army of 135,000. But when God's behind it, it will happen. It's not plausible for five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 people. But when God's behind it, he'll make it happen. So this is something that actually happened. So let's think about that for a second. The geography issue. Instantly, Jonah disobeys. Goes the opposite direction. He ran away from the Lord and he went to Tarshish. Tarshish was near Spain. So he actually goes from this missional thing that God has journey that God has sent him on to a fishing trip. He decides that he's going to go near uh, near Spain to Tarshish, where, which is a community where people just literally are relaxing and fishing. He's like he starts coming up with all these excuses on why. Oh, they need me in Tarshish, too. And obviously, the anointing that's on Jonah's life is great. If you, if you question that, don't. Because think about it. He's got a bad attitude from the very beginning of this story. But even when he is on the boat, these guys, I think it's interesting too that they worship all these false gods. But even they have enough spiritual awareness to say, this storm is not normal. There's something wrong with somebody on this ship and we're gonna find out who it is. And it says they cast lots. So they get some dice. They figure out, they're like, whoever this lands on, it's your fault. And they come up on Jonah. And it, finally it comes in. They're like, dude, these dice, we just prayed to our God. It said, tell us who it is. It's you. Now admit, who are you? Where are you from? What does Jonah say? He said, I serve the God of heaven who made the sea, who made the ocean, who made the stars, who created everything from scratch. He's just talking. He's not even trying to convert them. But they are literally overwhelmed with God's presence when he just begins to talk, even out of a bad attitude. As he's telling the truth, they literally get saved. The Bible says they started sacrificing to God and making vows to the God of heaven after they heard Jonah talking. So the anointing that's on this man's life is incredible. Even though he's walking in pure disobedience. So he's coming up with all these excuses. Oh, I'm, I'm fine. Look, I mean, these guys are responding to the message and I'm on the boat. So I must be in God's will. Something good is happening here. We do this kind of stuff all the time. I've prayed about this. You know, people leave a church for whatever reason they want. They leave their job for whatever reason they want. They go, oh, well, look, something good happened. I, you know, God must be behind me. They walk out on marriages. They're called to stay in because they made that commitment before God. But they say, oh, well, look, I'm happy now. This good thing happened. I'm, I got a raise. I got, and we come up with all these ways of justifying sinful disobedience. But at the end of the day, that's exactly what it is. I'm not the right person for Nineveh. I just, well, God can call someone else to go there. I just feel like Tarshish is the right thing for me. See, we have to understand our inner conflict. We have to understand where a lot of that comes from, even from a psychological standpoint. We deal with something called cognitive dissonance. And cognitive dissonance is when two conflicting belief systems banged against each other in our head. They come against each other and we are presented with a moral dilemma. 
of belief. And what cognitive dissonance does is it causes us to change whichever one of those things we don't want to choose. We change that thing to accommodate the one that we have chosen. So if we are making a decision to go against God, we take our belief in God and we diminish it against the significance of the belief that we want to choose for ourselves about choosing our own path. And in our mind, we make the decision about God less important so that our soul can be at peace with that choice and there's not a sense of constant turmoil in our psyche. That's what cognitive dissonance is. And I think that's important because it was a perfect example here of his inner turmoil. He made a choice and he was willing to go against the God of heaven, what he clearly told him to do. And he did it by making a choice and he missed an opportunity. He missed an evangelism opportunity too. And I'm telling you something, every time you choose your own way, you miss an evangelism opportunity. It's not just about you. It's about the people along the way that you could have affected and could have blessed for his glory if you would have been obedient to God's plan. God sees the beginning from the end and he sends people and orchestrates people to be a part of his symphony. Remember, he's the composer. He writes out the script. We have to choose whether we're gonna go along with it or not. And yeah, he'll find somebody else to play your part, but I wanna play the part that he wrote for me. I wanna play it to perfection. I wanna make, I wanna make sure that my melody is right and is correct. You know, Paul was shipwrecked off the coast of Malta because he was on mission to go to Rome and he got shipwrecked, but yet told everyone with him, we're gonna get there. We're not gonna let a storm keep us from going where God has called us to go. See, that's the difference. Paul had a strong relationship with God and he was willing to go through persecu persecution to fulfill his purpose, but Jonah was running from his purpose and he didn't care whether he was persecuted or not. All he knew is he didn't wanna do what God told him to do. See, Paul had confidence because confidence comes from communion. When we spend time with God, we're confident in whatever it is that we experience because confidence comes with communion and that's something that Jonah didn't have any longer in his life. He was able to hear from God. He was able to be touched by God, but he had lost that communion, that closeness with God. Look at someone next to you and say, don't lose your communion. And I think it's interesting too in this story that we see what sin really looks like when we choose our own way and we make our own path and we're going down that road. We've already chosen. I don't care, God, what you told me that you wanted me to do. I'm not ready for it. I have anxiety about it. It's stressing me out. Find somebody else for now until I'm ready. Just give me, I just want to graduate. Don't we do this? Just let me graduate. It's like you're telling God, basically, don't talk to me for four more years. We do it with everything. We're like, just let me get this book finished or let me get this, you know, let me get this job or let me, you know, let my kid grow up a little bit. Then fine, I'll, I'll listen. And we're just pushing God away. And I think what's really interesting, and this stood out to me as I was studying this message this time, is that whole part where as the storm is going on, these guys on the boat are trying to find who's responsible for it. Who remembers where Jonah was when they found him? Where was he? He was asleep. As a matter of fact, it says that he was in a deep sleep. 
I seem to remember another story in the Bible about a storm. A really bad storm that was going on and the boat was about to sink and they were looking for somebody who was also asleep. But who was that person that was asleep? See, it was Jesus. But you have two different kinds of people that are asleep in a deep sleep who are unaffected by the storm. One is Jesus, who the Bible calls the Prince of Peace. And one is a defiant rebel who doesn't want anything to do with God and is perfectly asleep. What does that teach me from reading it? It teaches me there are two kinds of peace. There's the kind of peace that comes from knowing the Father, from trusting the Lord, from knowing, God, you have called me to go across this ocean and I don't care what kind of storm comes my way. You are going to protect me. You will give me authority over the wind if necessary. If I fall in the water, you're going to lift me up. You're going to get me through because you called me there. I trust you and I can sleep when I have that kind of peace. Oh, but over here, there's a different kind of false peace. See, and, and don't, don't, don't lie to yourself. You say, well, I, I sleep fine every night. Well, you might be sleeping in the wrong kind of peace. Oh, there is a peace where we're totally disconnected from the truth. We lie to ourselves. The cognitive dissonance that I was referring to, we get so deeply embedded in that lie that we begin to believe, oh, the pedal. We believe the lie and we, we start trusting in the lie. And the only way that we can feel comfortable to get through the day or to get through tonight is to believe that we're right. So that false sense of peace and we don't want to think about the truth. So out of sight, out of mind. And you know what we're sleeping in? Denial. Consider your own life. Are there times where you have taken the ship to Tarshish? Isn't it interesting too? It says that Jonah bought a ticket at Joppa. He paid his way towards sin. He bought a ticket for sin. Sin costs us, doesn't it? The wrong choice costs us. Oh, and it's such a heavy price to pay. So a couple of ideas here in part one. Is, is I, I would give you three. The first one is that disobedience is a downward spiral. If you read through this text, you will notice there are four different ways that the Bible says that he goes down. So it says, first of all, it says he went down to Joppa. So geographically, he goes down to Joppa. So he goes from Gat Heifer to Joppa. That's down. He goes down into the boat. So he's physically going down now into the boat. Then he goes down into the sea from the boat. And you say, well, how can you get lower than that? Down into the belly of a whale. So he keeps going down. Sin is a downward progression. Disobedience takes you down and it keeps pulling you down, down, down. And sometimes part of God's judgment is giving us our way. We say, I want it that way. And he's like, oh, okay. (laughs) 
and he lets us have our way. Part of his judgment is giving us exactly what we ask for. So it's interesting, in this story, God tells him to do it. He leaves immediately. It seems like he made the right choice. He's on, you know, got his vacation clothes on. He's going fishing. He's just getting away to a completely different life. We get away quickly, but we recover slowly. The road to restoration is long and painful. So why go through the disobedience in the first place? See, the bitterness comes later. The sadness comes later. We get away quickly, but we recover slowly. And then finally, I think that at least when we get to, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of his flaws here. He had some, some good things about him. This is a really weird story because most stories, I will admit, just even as a writer, you've got to leave something hopeful at the end, but this is not a happy ending story. That's why I believe it had to be true. If it was a fake story, they would have come up with some crazy, amazing ending of redemption, but I mean, it leaves, it ends weird, and we'll get into that in a couple of weeks. It's a very strange ending to this. You're dealing with a, a very strange guy who deeply hated these people. Okay, so it's a good reflection of ourself. And make sure, can I just tell you real quick, when you listen to messages, do not ever listen to the message and go, oh, I wish Billy was here today. He needs this. No, you need this. <laughs> this is for you. This is for you. Never be that person. As a matter of fact, oh, he's teaching on Ruth. Ruth, well, I'm a man. She's a woman. I'm, I'm gonna be, get on Instagram. Every story in this book is about you. What I mean is every story we read, you're a character in part of it. You, you should find the truth about your life in everything that you read. Search that text. Search that scripture. Search every character in that scripture. Every person that is there, search it and find the meaning. So find the meaning of, of what failure looks like through Jonah and remember how you failed. Remember if you're failing or if you're about to fail and don't do it. Learn from it today. And, you know, finally, he explained to these guys how to make the storm go away. I don't really love his solution. It was pretty suicidal, to be honest with you. He's like, throw me overboard. Because what he was really saying at that point is, I would rather die than obey God. And I, I know that's a really raw, dark thing to say, but it's really true. There are a lot of people, even in this room, that would rather die than obey God. Because he could have easily said, you know what? I'm repenting right now. I'm going to get down on my knees and say, I'm sorry to God. This storm will go away. I'm going to get off at the next stop and I'm going to Nineveh. I'm going to do what he asked me to do and you guys will be fine. But no, he didn't do that. He said, throw me overboard. So at least he came to the point where he realized that when we come to the end of ourselves, that's point, the final point, that's where God begins. The end of ourself is the beginning of where God will start working in our life. We have to come to the end of ourselves. So when he calls you to do a task that you don't understand or you don't agree with or you don't like, that's a perfect opportunity for you just to simply walk down the road of obedience. What Jonah should have done when God said, go to Nineveh, preach against it, he knew in his head, oh my gosh, he's gonna save these people I hate. He's going to use me to do it. You know what he should have done? Packed a bag. Are you with me here today? He should have packed his bag and said, I can't stand these people. He's walking down the road to obedience. I can't stand these people, God. I can't believe I'm doing that. 
Help my, help my attitude. Forgive me for my terrible attitude. You want to use me somehow? I know you're going to use me for your goodness. I know you're going to use me for your glory. How, oh, I can't stand these people. It's like being around a bunch of Eagles fans when you're a Cowboys fan. It's like, what do you do? It's like, it's terrible. It's like, and you're just talking to yourself and you're praying it out. This is what obedience looks like. Is your work, are anyone here today? You're working through all those things out loud as you pray, as you talk, you're getting those things out of your spirit, but you're still walking down the road to obedience. See, and this is the way we've got to live. If we've got to make the right choice, we've got to make the right choice and give, give God an opportunity to move in our life. So recognizing these choices in our life and why we make them and how we diminish the most important belief systems with cognitive, like a spiritual cognitive distance, really, dissonance, really, we diminish the call of God and the principles of God and we choose these other things that we value more and then what we do is we diminish the things of God till they're small enough where we're not tortured constantly by these two opposing ideas occupying the same space. And we can't do that any longer. We've got to recognize. We've got to be vigilant and authentic. So I'd like you to reflect on a moment in your own life where you've had this choice. Maybe it was a long time ago. Maybe it's something that happened very recently. And quite frankly, maybe it's something that you're considering right now. You know God is speaking to you about how to respond right now to his voice, to his call. He's called you to believe for something big right now, to step out in faith, missionally, to do something, to get involved on a level you've never been before, to give something you've never given before, something that requires more of you than you've ever given. And he's spoken to you in your heart about what to do. You have the same choice that Jonah did. You'll be treated no differently when you stand before God than Jonah was. So rather than devaluing what God has spoken to you and using your rationale to diminish that important thing God has told you, reflect on those decisions in your life and pray for wisdom in alignment between your actions and your faith. I wanna say that again. Pray for alignment between your actions and your faith. I don't want people just to hear about my faith. I want them to see my faith-filled actions and be impressed with my faith because of my actions and the things that I'm doing for God because they're done in faith. That's a testament for the Lord. Pray for that wisdom and an alignment between those two things. And I believe that the moment you begin to do that and think about your decisions in a brand new light, maybe similar to how Jonah was the times that you've disobeyed, the more you'll see that God can even bless you in your disobedience, but how much more could he bless you if you just obey? And that's where we're gonna take the rest of this series. And I believe that we're not gonna fall into the same trap that Jonah did. And I just encourage you, come back next week. We're gonna talk about next week, the theme is gonna be what to do in your darkest hour. And I believe God is really gonna minister to you lift you up, lift your spirit up. Enjoy sitting in the, these pews. Uh, this is the last time you will ever sit in these pews. The next time you are in church, this will be filled with all brand new theater seating. That was our, our big fundraiser that we did and we're excited about renovating and changing our building. First time since 1995 that we will have something like that here. So, so 93, yeah, pat your pew and say, thanks, you've been good to me. Yeah, it's, never see that again. But join, join us next week. Uh, those that are watching online, join us next week for what to do in your darkest hour. I believe God's got a word for you.
He's gonna really lift you up and encourage you. I hope you got, did you guys enjoy today, part one of this series? I hope you enjoy this idea because I, I think this is something, these kinds of things are things that we need to move forward in our faith. Let me pray for you and your family. Uh, if you're here today, could you bow your heads and close your eyes and you do not know the Lord and you need prayer, you say, I need to give my heart to Jesus. No one looking around, could you just lift your hands right now all over the building and say, pray for me, pastor. I need Jesus in my life. Hands going up everywhere, all over this building. If you're at home or watching online, just lift your hand right now where you are if you need prayer and you need Jesus in your life. Let people know uh, in our chat that you need Jesus. I need Jesus. I'm lifting my hand. And could we pray this prayer together? He loves you so much today. Say, I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. I'm in need of a Savior. I make choices all the time that have to do with what I want rather than what your will is for my life. Help me to value who you are in my day-to-day -day decisions. Holy Spirit, regenerate my heart as I put my faith in Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And I repent for all my sins, all my faults and failures. Jesus, you died for me so I could have eternal life. I will live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, could we give God a great praise today? He is worthy. Amen. Bless you. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.